0: for some reason adventure racing you just have to do what you need to do at that time period to get through until things change and it's just crazy how you don't have any more energy and you don't think you can go any further and then an hour and a half later you feel like you just started the race after 20 hours of, of racing it's unbelievable
1: Welcome to the Dark Zone, an adventure racing podcast. I'm your host, Brian Gaten. In today's episode, Brian Rice joins us to share his experience and approach to adventure racing. Brian has been active in the ARC since 2000, and his resume includes participating in 13 USA ARA Championships, three World Championships, and the 10-Day Primal Quest Utah. Brian has also climbed Mount McKinley, the highest point in North America, has directed his own races, and is the owner and chief paddle builder for Jolly Rogers Paddles. He has currently quickly learned that he is a storytelling machine. In this episode, we talk about how he approaches nutrition, navigation, and how to be a great teammate. Brian and I have a running joke that he is the better Brian between the two of us, and after listening to him, I'm sure that you will agree. One important production note before the episode begins. This was the earliest Dark Zone podcast recorded, and this was before we began to dial in the sound and audio. Brian sounds great, but I sound like I'm in a hole from time to time. I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I enjoyed recording it. Sit back and enjoy this episode of The Dark Zone, an adventure racing podcast.
2: If this was like a superhero movie, what's your origin story?
0: Yeah, so so I started, well, let me say, back in 2000, I get a phone call from my stepbrother. And he's an adventurer. I'm an adventurer. We were bike riding. We were running. We were paddling, just using old feather-like canoe paddles. He gives me a phone call, and then he's like, hey. There's um there's a race down in Virginia. Um it's called it's um it's called an adventure race. And um we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna paddle, we're gonna run, we're gonna ride. And he's like, You do all that stuff, right? And I'm like, Yeah. And I was like, Okay, well, well, how long is it? He's like, It's uh two days. And I'm like, Two days? You gotta be crazy, man. <laughs> so then I was like, um oh, thought about it for maybe, you know, five, ten seconds. And you know, I was a young kid then, twenties. I was like, you know what? Why not? I'm in. He's like, "Okay, well, you know, it's something like um, the Eco Challenge. You know, in 2000 the Eco was still still hanging on. Uh, actually Brian, you tell me, when was that um, what was was 2003 the Eco Challenge was the last one before was it something so. like that? Yeah, I don't know yeah, exactly. I think I think
2: it's been gone for I think it's been gone for over 10 years. But 2003 might have been the golden age of it when it was
0: really yeah. popular. Yeah. Yeah. And then um so then that I, I don't want to like jump on the wagon with the whole eco challenge thing, but I did know about adventure racing because of the eco challenge. And certainly I wasn't, I didn't watch every single episode and I don't remember them all, but yes, that eco challenge did intrigue me. And, um, I, I never really thought like, Oh, that's what I have to do or I can do that. But after the first race, we, Derek was a great navigator. He still is Derek Lawrence. We started Adventure Pocono. And then for the next 10 years, we just we just rock and roll with Adventure Pocono. We um, traveled all over. We did some world championships. And um, I dragged my family with Kelly and Madison. I'm like, yo, our next vacation is going to be over to New Zealand and they're like oh yeah for what and i was like well it's an adventure race so we'll do you know you guys follow me around with the race and then afterward we'll do a week's vacation and went to australia then afterward just vacation style and uh so yes i was able to drag my family around and madison and my wife along with me were able to see the country to see the world um through adventure racing so yeah i do have to uh I do have to thank Derek for getting me involved and I still do things with Derek. I still race with Derek. We're going to do Mount Rainier next year. Um, So for me, I love racing, but I love the competition, but I'm more, more of an adventurer, more of an explorer. I want to, I don't want to do the same race. I don't want to do the same road ride every day, the same race every year. I want to do a different area. I like different um, locations, different mountains. Um, And I do like to be challenged. I want to see how far I can go. Um, So that's kind of it. I love adventure. Bring it on, whatever it might be. And um, I'm probably game. Probably game and I'm going to hang on.
2: So so you, you said something interesting. You said that you thought for a total of five or six seconds before saying yes, right? So your your barrier to jump into it was relatively low, right? You didn't go home. You didn't contemplate it and think about it. You didn't do a spreadsheet. You didn't, you basically, someone said something to you that kind of poked you a bit. It sounded interesting. You had faith in him, right? You knew this person very, very well, obviously. And when they floated the idea, you said you jumped right into it. Now, for, for the listeners out there and some of those who may be relatively new to this, I'm going to assume for the sake of the conversation, that you weren't great at it in the very beginning. What, what did you struggle with when it started? What did what were you able to look beyond in terms of your ability that you weren't that good at but you really didn't care about?
0: Well, we were um, we were definitely green the first race. We did not do too much research. I remember we had to carry a dry bag. I remember carrying my big NRS. <laughs> dry bag that I use, I use for overnight canoe trips. I carried that and I was able to get my whole pack inside that during the, during the paddle. And of course we, we use their, their rental, um, you know, life vests and paddles, single blades and which we grew up on. So I remember um, these other teams with these kayak paddles, probably epics. I don't remember. I just remember they were going double play and we were, we were passing teams that had the double-bladed paddles. And uh, we came off of the the paddle, um, I think, in second place. And I remember Don Mann. He's like, who is this team? And somebody, actually, my wife, was like, it's Adventure Pokino." He's like, how many races they do? And she's like, this is our first one. We ended up getting second place during that race. And I'm going to say, because of navigation, because of navigation, Brian, you know that you got, you could be the fastest team out there, but if you're going the the wrong direction you're just gonna have to turn around and go to the correct so we would derek is um he could download these maps he would look at this map and and look at it and we would just go for an hour without him pulling the other map out we would pass a team say we're on our bikes on the road pass a team at an intersection that they were looking at the map we'd be creeping team comes flying by us 100 miles an hour next intersection they're sitting there looking at the map we just make the right Next thing you know, they go fly. So anyway, um, adventure racing is all about navigation. So were we? We were definitely green. Where we? Where we? Uh, we were definitely overloaded. I remember. Uh, I was not feeling so good. So I was like, I need more food. Ate more food. Oh, man, not feeling. I need more food. Ate. Next thing you know, I'm I'm throwing up all over the place like projectile vomiting, Brian, and it was because. Uh, nutrition was, nutrition was horrible. And as soon as I get done throwing up, boom, we're rocking and rolling again. And, uh, and so, so yes, um, it, there is definitely a learning curve for adventure racing, but, um, navigation and having that, having a leader that knows, um, if we need to sleep, if we need to rest, um, our next move is helpful. And of course your core, your team behind you needs to have input as well but your leader um, is very important that everybody trusts. And when he makes a call, you go with it because you could waste another five or 10 minutes discussing um, a decision while um, that other better team, shall I say is already off and rocking and rolling and taking that chance. You know, adventure racing always is that um, it's an 80% chance it's that way. And uh, we just got to go for it and see. And the next thing you got to say, when you think you're there, go further. Go further instead of turning around or thinking you missed that checkpoint. Yeah,
2: you know, and you you bring up a great point. Like so, so adventure racing is a, is a is a combination of a variety of factors that have to work together in unison, right? You have to you have to get your navigation right. Are you going in at least in the close to the right direction? Are you are you fueling your body right? Are you taking care of the system? Are you fueling the team right? Are you contributing to the team? How much gear are you carrying? Yeah. Like, there's a whole package that goes with that, right? And you make a valid point about time because I never thought about this before, but if you are in a 12 hour race and if you waste five minutes, each of those 12 hours, you've given back an hour of race time. And so it's very clear that the, that you have to watch the clock. You have to watch where you are navigation. And I think that that, I think the point you bring up and I'm, and I'm glad that we're talking because you do a really good job making it clear that you recognize that you had certain strengths in the sport, right, you clearly, you you had the physical ability to go, you could paddle well, you had confidence, but also you recognized that there were things that you weren't good at. You carried too much gear. Your nutrition was down a little bit. But what you didn't allow to happen was you didn't allow your lack of ability to be good at everything, get in your way of taking part in the experience. And I think that's a, a common thing that people run into too often in too many places of their life, that if they're not great at something or proficient at the very beginning, they walk away from it. And it sounds like you didn't have to worry about that. It sounds like it's part of your personality that you were very comfortable not being that good at understanding the food or understanding how much gear to pack. And so I I'm, don't want to put words in your mouth, but you would probably say to a newer racer, ignore the things that you're not good at in the beginning. Focus on what you could do well, take pride in that, and then just keep racing. Does that sound, is that something that you would believe in?
0: That's um that's pretty good, Brian. So I'm never one. I'm not one to say that um I should be the lead lead navigator or um can can actually navigate quickly. But when Derek is navigating and he's looking at that map, I know what I have to do, and that's take food out. Not for me, but I'm going to be feeding my navigator. I'm going to be giving Derek food while he's reading that map because he also he's not only mountain biking or trekking he's navigating and mountain biking he's navigating trekking he needs he's doing a lot more than me who's just trying to keep the team together so i want to make sure i want to keep him fueled. hey derek you drink it um so these are going back you know way back you know the new team that um i'm racing with rootstock racing you know there might be different areas that i can be helping in um as well so so you're, you're right, Brian. Uh, what else can I be doing when I'm not doing what that other individual on the team is doing? Yeah, that's kind of like um, that. That's been my role. The mule, um, you know, I'm getting a little over, Brian. You know, the olden days, I would I would try to carry as much as I can. You know, the 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 equipment, the mandatory gear. Um, so now, um, you know, some of the other people might be carrying the mandatory gear. So I'm trying to hang on. And if that's my job to hang on and keep the team together, even though I'm the fourth person in line, um, I'm okay with that. And I'm enjoying the scenery and the trails and the mountains and the mud and the, and, and just being out there at night with, with headlamps and seeing other headlamps on another mountainside. And I'm just thinking that well, what team is that? Who's that? And I'm sure they're enjoying themselves and struggling as well. You're enjoying yourself, but you're struggling at the same time. And sometimes that's what's cool is um is being uncomfortable. How comfortable can you be when you are uncomfortable? And is that what actually makes you happy? You know, some people are actually happy being miserable. You know, I've worked with some people that uh um, may complain all day, and I'm like, you know what? He's complaining, but he's happy complaining because he likes to be miserable. <laughs> so that's the other thing. It's all true adventures really aren't all that fun the whole time while they're happening. But when you get home, when you get home after one of our canoe trips on a weekend or a pack rafting trip, and it was hard, you get home and reflect on that for a couple of days. It's like, you know what? That was awesome. When is the next... When is the next trip? And I, I've been saying that, like, um, in races as well. I'm like, you know what? This could be, this could be my last race. And as soon as I get across the finish line, I'm like, what's next? What race is next? Um, so that's important too. That everybody knows that during that six-hour adventure race, twelve-hour, twenty-four, three-day, you're gonna have lows. You need um, a teammate on your team that's gonna help you get out of that low or also help not talk to you because some people just need to be in that low and it's okay. Um, Maybe they're better off being ignored. And by knowing your teammates, that's what's important as well. You could certainly race with a team of, um, jump on a team and have a great race. But when you know your teammates and when I can just look at my teammates and see Oh yeah, she's hurting, or he's not feeling so good. And knowing what I can do to help them get through the next two or three hours till the sun comes up, because I know once that sun comes up, boom, it's a new ball game, it's a new day. But um, knowing your teammates, I think, is very important. And uh, and yep, not not every minute of the race is going to be exciting and enjoyable, but man, when it's all said and done, you can reflect and feel pretty darn good about yourself and your team and the teamwork that happened out there.
2: You know, and you're, and you're, 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 a, a one man wisdom machine, right? Cause there's so much stuff that you talk about there. Like, for example, you talk about your, your, your role now in the team. And there's a, there's a mountaineer, his name is Steve Swenson. And, um, and I feel obligated to mention his name once a day because he's a hero of mine. And he's, he's 65 now. And he is, he is simply the most accomplished American mountaineer who's alive today. And he's amazing. And he's, he climbed in the Karakoram range. He did a, a climb in Link SAR last year and won the uh, major climbing awards. Um, and what he's talked about is as as he's aged, is that what he has done is that he recognizes his role in the team. And he he goes with younger climbers who are stronger and he doesn't have to lead on the climb anymore. He just merely has to play a role he has to show his wisdom and his guidance. He has to carry the gear. And there was a moment during this major climb where they were trying to, they were near the top of Link Star, this mountain range, this mountain they were climbing. And it was, he basically, and he'll never admit to this, but if you listen to the report, he saved the day because they couldn't attach themselves to the mountain and you've climbed, right? You, you know for a fact that you have to attach your gear to something, you have to be safe, you have to be protected. And on his own, he dug like a four foot snow hole into the rock face and he he actually put protection down he saved this climb for the team the oldest climber the most experienced climber and so you're right that there's a there's something inside your person where you have to know your role and you have to see the team and adventure racing in many ways is a constant understanding of human nature you have to know your role watch your teammates take care of each other know what they need and what they don't need and you make a really valid point, too. And it's a it's a it's a Kiwi phrase. It's a New Zealand phrase. And it's sometimes fun isn't fun. Right. And when you're in yeah. the middle of a yeah. race and you're just getting clobbered. Right. It's it's the witching hour. It's two in the morning. You barely see any headlamp. You're tired. You're exhausted. And we both know that two o'clock in the morning, those four hours till the sun comes up are the longest four hours of your life. You live in this yeah. quasi twilight zone and you learn to sort of just buckle down and hold on. Um, and so you're, you're, you're spot on. And it's a great thing to say to people who are new to the sport, who are listening to this, the fact that everybody, including you, who raced well over 20 years, and before that you had exploration experience, but even to this day, you go through those moments. And what separates you from them is the fact that because you've gone through them, you know, you can get through them. You know, um, and so I think yeah. you're spot on. And then just knowing knowing your role and knowing what you have to do. Um, what do you think looking back on your race experiences and seeing other teams from a distance, right? Cause you race with your team, your partner, your core, three other teammates, when you see other teams come apart at the seams where they just fall apart during a race and you just, it, we've seen it all, right? We've seen teams just <laughs> implode during a race. What do you think those teams might've done or might not have done that got in their way to do well during the race? What do you think happened in that team dynamic?
0: Well, one thing that you need with um, adventure racing, obviously, is teamwork. But you need you need to respect what other people need. If one of the other people on the team needs to know, needs to ask the navigator um, where what our next um, landmark is or what he's looking for, um, then that and hopefully that navigator will give um, him or her the time to reply and, um, give them the respect on what they need. Every, um, I could sit in the back for two hours and not say anything and just, um, be hanging out back there. Or I could be talking for the, for the two hours. And, um, if somebody, it doesn't, it doesn't want somebody, I, obviously, um, everybody's been out there Where probably somebody talks too much. Maybe, um, there's somebody not enough or my team sometimes knows if I'm uh, not saying anything for a while, I'm probably hurting. And then they try to um, engage a conversation with me. So so where teams fall apart could possibly be um, like a personality conflict. And um, there's probably people out there that say, I'll never race with that individual again. Um, maybe that's how they broke. Maybe... Maybe the, one of the guys on the team was just pretty much getting drugged along for, for too long. And finally, he broke and got to the next TA and said, you know what, I'm done. And instead of the team slowing the pace down or possibly saying, hey, let me grab your backpack, um, because everybody has a high and a low, you're going to get through that. And if somebody just takes your pack for one hour, you might, grab, you might get your pack back the next hour and take that other individual's gear off his pack. Um, off his back and carry his for the next hour Um so what do you happens find
2: do you find, get, let me ask you a question, do you find that that's, that's very often that people struggle with that, that they struggle being vulnerable inside the race and saying I can't do this right now, you need to help me do you find that people struggle with that
0: I actually respect that 100% when we, we won nationals USA nationals and Jim Thorpe in 2017, um, my, the lead navigator that uh, that was with me, I carried his pack. And I didn't think I was going to – there was no way that I was stronger than this individual. But for this little time period, he wasn't feeling it. Something happened. Maybe nutrition got him. Maybe we were working too hard. Maybe he was spending too much time with the maps and not eating. Uh, I took his pack, and I didn't know how long I could go. But you know what? Uh, I knew that he needed me to take his pack and it worked because um, once I gave it back to him, he was fine. We were fine. We were rocking and rolling. But for, for some reason, adventure racing, you just have to do what you need to do at that time period to get through until things change. And it's just crazy how you don't have any more energy and you don't think you can go any further. And then an hour and a half later, You feel like you just started the race after 20 hours of, of racing. It's unbelievable. It's could be a little bit of adrenaline. It could be a little bit of teamwork, how they brought you up. It could obviously nutrition is just so important that you got to stay on top of your water. You got to stay on top of your food and you don't want to eat too much food. You don't want to drink too much water. Um, but for some reason, the, the highs and lows, and maybe that's what keeps us going, Brian, is um, the enjoyment that we get out of seeing how far and how long we can continue.
2: I think you're, you're spot on there, right? And a, a great piece of advice that I got one time during, I, I, we, I did a race one time where I had a really, really, really hard time. I had trained very hard for this one event. I had, I had actually failed out of it the two previous years. My feet just failed me. And I, and I spent a lot of time getting ready for the next edition of it. And it wasn't going as planned. And, and, a, and a, a, a fellow racer kind of talked me down in it. I had a really, it was a two-day event. I had a really hard time in transition. I wanted to quit. I mean, it was really, really ugly. And this person shepherded me through the experience. And what she said to me was, well, first of all, get a little bit of food and you get some liquid in. you like take a few deep breaths. And she said to me very, very kindly, and very, very, very with with wisdom. No matter how you feel during a race, it's going to pass. Yep. And that yep. went both ways. That went when things were going really well. Well, I'm, I'm, this is going to the the line goes yeah. down eventually, and I feel really, really bad. The line goes up, and I think what I've learned over the over the years is is that what people do is that they, they involuntarily surrender too soon or voluntarily surrender too soon. They, they don't wait to turn the corner. They don't give it a moment. They're, they're, they're hurting. They don't feel well. They think it's a permanent condition and they don't just hold on. And if they held on and if they gave up some of their gear and if they caught their breath, they would turn that corner and things would be better. And I, and I, I think for the purpose of the conversation we're having, that's a good thing for new people to hear that everybody goes through a tough time and then everybody has to be vulnerable at times because I've never met a racer that at some point in their in, in a race has been so much struggling. Like people feel good the entire time, but everybody goes through those highs and those lows, yep. everybody. Yep. And I, and I, yep. and I think that we, we fall into the Superman scenario because if you're newer to the sport, like, are we really used to seeing other sports stars really suffer? Like when you watch a football game or you watch a soccer game or a baseball game, we only see them when they're at their best. We don't see them when they're clobbered. And so we think you feel good the entire time. And I think you make a very good point that everybody goes through a spectrum of emotion during a race. Um, yeah. What, what, is, what, is what is your sleep strategy? How, how is sleep? Like, that's the other discipline, right? Like, how well rested are you during a race? Do you tend to, are you, do you drive through? and then you collapse like into the race do you take a break do you use the nighttime to sleep do you, what strategy works best for you and has that strategy evolved over time
0: so so i was doing expedition races um uh, back in the early days um uh, 2003 2002 i would do the raid raid um raid the North to, um, the world championships to, um, to Scotland, the adrenaline rush back then. Um, the, um, I was doing the expedition races. Primal quest was a 10 day. Um, and then from 2007, I haven't done an um, an expedition race until 2008 on tamed new England. And that was actually when I met you, Brian, on the bus, I believe for the first time, Um, so I, I'm going to go back to, let's just go back to new England, um, Mm -hmm. where it's the freshest in my memory, even though it's three years ago. Um, we, we went hard, we went 24, we went a day and a half before we went a day and a half before we even thought about sleeping. We wanted to sleep long. We, we slept for three hours. After driving for thirty six hours, um, and that's and then we were we that was it. So we found a lodge. We slept for three hours. We rocked on. And the, here's, who
2: was your team for that race? It was you that was some
0: well. Root, rootstock racing. Brent and Abby and Joel. Was that the favorite? Was, was that the ski lodge sleep?
2: Did you? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, Oh, it some, was some Tell us about that. Tell, tell us about that. One. That's a good story about where you've slept. You 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 came across an unlocked door. Is that true? <laughs>
0: Yeah, that is true. Well, we we knew we were coming up into um an old ski area. Maybe it wasn't old. To me it was um an old ski area because it was in the summertime. So every ski area looks deserted. Um so we were checking like all these other buildings and then the main lodge, uh we checked and the door was open and we had carpet to sleep on and it actually got too hot where we had to open up the windows and um <laughs> and, and we actually so so here's here's a scenario that you win some and you lose some. So we, the day, the, the race was a four day. Um, we wanted to sleep three hours and that was going to be our last sleep. But then what happened was after we, 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 we were about I think three hours behind the lead team and we were slowly coming back to, we were within an hour and a half. And what happened was the, the race director decided that he cut the sh- the race short and we, we, we eventually had enough sleep to rock on, but the other team only had 45 minutes of sleep until that point. And the race director cut the race short and then they just had to go ahead and finish. And then we were, I'm not going to say we were fresh, but we had plenty of sleep where we figured if they had to go ahead and do that last foot section, um, they would have had to get some sleep and that would have been our time to to drive on and possibly make the pass. Um, it didn't happen. Uh, same thing with uh, another race where, um, it was actually raid right the North extreme the Yukon territory where it was a six day race. And I believe it was team Merrill or somebody, and all the top teams came out of the gate. You know, of course they, they, they ripped on. So in the beginning of the race, you go, as, some teams go as fast as you possibly can. Other teams are like, you know, we're going to get stronger. It ended up a rainstorm came, and there was a 100-mile mountain bike ride along, I, I believe it was Dawson Trail. All the lead teams got through that mountain bike section without, it was just um, dirt. The rain came, and it made it clay. And we had, you know, not the whole time, but it was like 50 miles of pretty much just walking our bike and pulling the clay off out of our frame and throwing it down or carrying our now 40 pound bikes with with total mud on so that's the other thing to think about do you come out fast um the 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 nature um will that storm create um uh your paddle section to be canceled or to be postponed and you're not going to get that time back um a lot of these longer races have dark zones so you got to race to that dark dark zone and get on the water before the dark zone so You have to remember every race has its own personality and you win some and lose some. And sometimes coming out fast and racing, thinking about that, that four day race, thinking about it, maybe in four quarters, uh, one day Mm -hmm. being each quarter and just saying, you know what, let's, let's go strong for this quarter, get to that transition area and sleep. But the question was, is when do you sleep? It all depends on how the race is set up. If there is a dark zone and you're going to get sleep and you're going to you can get sleep for free because that dark zone doesn't give any kind of credit. Then that's what you want to race for. So you really adventure racing is about strategy. You look at the maps. You don't want to just look at the maps and figure out your route choice. You got to read the directions. Every good race organization has the directions spelled out. Some, um, some you got to get A through Z in the exact order. Other ones, um, you don't have to. And that's the first thing you got to figure out is um, can you go in any order? So just remember, directions are so important. Read them, and then you got to figure out strategy because adventure racing is not a triathlon. You don't get on your bike and go 100 miles an hour to the end of the road and then get off your bike and then do that run. There is strategy to it. There are areas where you got to decide on where you're going to go ahead and stop, Go up the mountain to that checkpoint, grab it, come back down to your bike. That's the main thing: strategy and um, thinking ahead. Thinking ahead, thinking what your next move is going to be. So I, I remember that that untamed New England. That
2: was the first expedition race that I had done five days, and I, and I raced with Jim Mernon, and it was our and we had raced together. We're friends for thirty years, and we we did this race. And I remember distinctly. Um, first thing, I mean, I, I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. Right. I thought, here I am. I'm just I'm just going for it. Right. And I and I and I and I I remember distinctly wondering to myself, I never thought I was outclassed and I never thought that I was over my head. And I never thought that I was ahead of everybody. I was a competitor, sort of like other competitors. And we were taking this huge fight out of this thing. Right. And there were teams there that were just incredibly talented and teams that struggled mightily and we, we fell where we fell. And what I remember most about that race was the fact that the learning curve was so steep. I learned so much inside that experience. It was like going to university for adventure racing. And I, and I, and once again, the highs and the lows, right? We had that first epic Trek, right. That took us like 15 hours, right. Where the oh, yeah. where, the, ma- yeah. where the, the, the map, I remember being given the map and being like, wait, there's <laughs> no trails. Like the map was just a huge green blob and you had to find your way. And, and Jim, who's our navigator just killed it and crushed it. And then we had, yeah, we had the pouring yeah. rain, and we got turned around on the bicycle, and we were, we were going to miss the cutoff for the first paddle, and we literally thought our race was over after the first because we didn't get on the first canoe section, and then we had to, then we missed the first canoe, and we had to get on our bikes, and in retrospect, missing that canoe saved us because we never would have gotten off the canoe in time to ride, and there were some teams that rode 200 miles over two days; they never made I it remember. to the section. And there's two things about that race that I remember distinctly. One is I think that Jim and I on day three or day four, I think that we made the mistake of being given an out and riding into the finish and skipping some sections of the course because we were new. I think I was a very poor teammate in that respect. I think I did too good of a job talking him into, Hey, it's day four. Let's call it a victory. Let's get out of there. And I think we left a lot, of, a lot of ourselves on the race course. We could have done a lot more. I remember that. But yeah. what I do remember is, is that we got caught in that massive rainstorm on the ride in. Our, all of our alarms went off on all of our trackers. We had to find refuge. We contemplated going into a, a locked church that we couldn't get in. And we found like this manger stable behind the church. We found another team and we took refuge for like four hours in this storm.
0: I'm and, glad and you didn't knock the church's door down. I'm glad you didn't wait, break hey, it was, into the church. Hey, well, I will tell
2: you that. we So we slept in their, in their stable, <laughs> and then we did send a donation to the church after the rest. <laughs> did, um, there's a bit of a history with us sleeping in weird places and sending donations. Um, okay. Your, your, your point being is that, the and you, you, you talk about it, is that... Every race has its own personality. Every race is different. Every race you learn something. And that mm-hmm. same exact thing happened for you. And here you are coming into Untamed New England. If I do the math in my head, that was 2018. You are well into your second decade of racing, right? You're yeah. starting in 2000. That's 18 years in. And even then you're still being taught things. And oh, once yeah. again, for, for people who are on the newer side for the sport, is when, when someone who has your kind of, of, of background talks about that, Nobody should go into an adventure race thinking that they will have immediate proficiency, immediate understanding. That it's a process of growing and learning more and more about yourself. And one of my future goals with with this conversation is to talk to a team who just did their first adventure race. Great. So I have you on one side, and I have a team, and I and I bumped into a team down at Shenandoah Epic that these two guys are just going to be an adventure storytelling machine. They were they were so much fun on the course, and I can't wait to talk to them. And so you're, you're, you're spot on about sleep strategies, making it up as you go along, figuring things out, nutrition, all of those things. So we'll we'll get towards the end here, because there's a few questions I like to ask at the end. So one question I like to ask at the end, what is your go-to race food? What is the thing that you say to yourself, this is going in my
0: pack no matter what? What is it? Um, Brian's burritos. So Brian's I here. am... Think more about that fri burritos I am about real food um I pre I go I I live in Quakertown Pennsylvania and I have the Quakertown farmers market and they people laugh at the Quakertown farmers market it's 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 a pretty interesting uh place just to people watch but they have the best meat they got the best cheeses and and the so I'll go there I'll go there the, the Friday before race weekend and I'll get my meat. I'll usually get hard salami, provolone cheese, something that will kind of last a little bit longer, but, um, I'm forever pulling out like, and I'll try to eat the burritos at first because, you know, they're a little heavier than say my one, my next, my next go-to food, which is combos. Um, but the burritos are are hilarious because they always know I'm pulling out fried burritos and, uh Real food, though. Um, well, I will... Yeah, and then Abby brought um, to the Epic. She had some pizza in our TA, that last TA, when we went out for that final trek. And it was just at sunrise at 6 a.m. And there was nothing better than than pizza um, in the morning. So I will say pizza is a go-to TA food as well. But yeah, Brian's Burritos and Combos.
2: Excellent, excellent answers. So if there was one race that you could do again for either because you loved it or you want to redeem yourself what race would it be
0: hands down the southern traverse in new zealand for redemption so we went um this goes back to 0405 we ended up winning the beast of the east with um with um the team ah uh, hooked on the outdoors. There was a magazine hooked on the outdoors. So I teamed up with them and we ended up winning the beast in the East. We got a free entry 7,500 bucks worth to go to the world championship in New Zealand. And first leg, uh, we weren't, Oh yeah. It was, um, we started out as an ocean kayak and these waves were, these waves were 10 feet big that we had to crush through. We made it out. We lost the other team. We ended up, we were in last place, and then finally we get up with the team. We we had a paddle in. There's there's people that have to remember this um race, but there's pictures of these double kayaks that are 18 foot long standing straight up with this guy coming up and over, getting just tackled by the waves. And jet skis were just picking up gear and people. And me and um Brian, Brian Gat, Brian, um, Brian, it's something like Brian. Yes, yeah, Brian, not Brian Gattons, because that's who I'm talking to right now. It was Brian uh, Gathens, Gathens, yeah. Uh, a, a
2: long anyway. I've never met him.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so we ended up, um, he told me, okay, this is what we have to do to get in safely, a back paddle, and then as soon as that wave, we got to catch up to the wave, and then as soon as the wave gets behind us, back paddle, we did exactly that. We were one of three teams that actually um, made it to shore and paddled in without breaking our boat and breaking our bodies but and long story short was it was like the first or second um uh area where you got uh disqualified you know for not making the time frame and uh we, we didn't make it so me and Brian are like, okay, well, we're gonna continue racing. And the race director's like, no, you can't do that. And we're like, well, we're gonna do it anyway, this and that. And he really wasn't working with us. But luckily, my <laughs> wife luckily my wife was there with, with Matt my daughter Madison. And uh we today were able to move our bikes and we pretty much made a race out of the race. After we were cut out, we were still able to race with Ian Adamson and Mike closer and see those guys finish and win. And, and we still made the best of it, but long story short, I have two, this, uh, DNFs out of maybe a hundred adventure races. That was one of them. And the other one was a Brent Friedland race that he put on for goals. Um, back in the day, which I, I think it was out in central PA where one of the guys on my team was like, you know, I'm just done. And he's like, you guys can go on if you want. But anyway, two DNFs. And yes, it, it haunts me a little bit. But um, anyway, I'll go back to New Zealand, Brian. You, um, you you find the race and I'm with you, my <laughs> man.
2: <laughs> and here's, here's the, last, the last question I have for you. Um, and, and thank you so much for your time. The last question I have is this. None of us get to anywhere by ourselves doesn't happen, right? There's we, we have teammates that we race with, and we have teammates who accompany us on the course, off the course, people in our lives. Who is the person who you want to hear this podcast and know that you're grateful for the role that they played in your life?
0: Well, uh, first would be my wife for just letting me be able to be who I am and continue adventuring up. Next week, I just told her up in the bedroom, like, I got a podcast with Brian. And then I was like, oh, yeah, did I tell you that I'm going to the Adirondacks next Monday and Tuesday? And she's like, no. And I was like, well, yeah, I am. And she's like, "Okay." So first of all, you know, with her, uh, with a wife, some, you know, some wives aren't some. Maybe she doesn't want to hang out with me, you know, right? Maybe maybe she's okay with me not being around. But anyway, for her, I think think that that you and I are in the same boat and that with our wife just for the record. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say her um just for for letting me be me. But um I will have to say Derek Lawrence who was the first guy to ask me to race and since then we've been doing adventures in in adventure racing and outside like last um last year we climbed the high point of Wyoming. Next year we're doing uh Rainier. He invites me along with his group of guys that I Typically, don't hang out with him. When I when he invites me on a trip, I go because his trips are number one and they're spot on. And um, he always has perfect weather, somehow or another. Yeah. Well,
2: I got I to tell you, Brian. I I uh, as, as our audience knows, this is the first time that we've done this for the inaugural. We we call this the Dark Zone podcast, right? Because the Dark Zone the is a name. partner race, right? It's a part in the race where you're you're stopped and you're still and you're in camp and you're talking to people. So. In between races, this is our personal dark zone, and this podcast is designed to fill that time. But I have to tell you, Brian, for the, the first time that we've done this, you have been an excellent guest. Your stories have been spot on, and you are a gift to the adventure racing community. So thank you, Brian, for all that you do. Have safe races, and have a great night. Thank you very
0: much, Brian. Thank you, Brian. Dark zone. Boom. As promised,
1: Brian Rice was clearly the better Brian today. Thank you to him for taking part, and to all of you for listening. What's next for Brian? The hot rumor is that he has secured a coveted permit for the Grand Canyon. He's going to give his alpaca pack raft a go in the big water. Please check our website, www.ardarkzone.com or drop me an email at brian at Be sure to subscribe to the Dark Zone wherever you find your podcasts. Remember, check your maps and check on your teammates.